his rest in heaven's best. When you let the glory pass the test. Jesus. through you hallelujah and a big glory to God pretty nice to have him on the inside and the glory do abide the big G within thee G is for God G is for glory. And that's our story. Psalm 7 8. You are the exalted one who judges the people. So vindicate me publicly and restore my honor and integrity before all the people. Declare me innocent. That's what the Lord says tonight. Glory. Psalm 16:9. My heart and soul explode. Hallelujah. Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Shaba. Shaba. Oricando. Ricare zotarare. Kinderi ora. Vandorokutrashi. Arinda. Explode with joy full of glory. What does our heart explode with? Joyful glory. Lord, I pray an impartation of the fresh anointing of joy into every spiritual stomach for every soul to explode with glory and joy. Even my body will rest confident and secure. Psalms 23 verse 2, he offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. Tonight's all about rest. The rest of the glory of God. The ease of being possessed by the Spirit of Jesus, which is the Spirit of glory. The Spirit of light. The only light on earth is in the Spirit of Jesus. The only light on earth is in the Word of Jesus. The only light on earth in any man, any woman, is by the blood of Jesus. And let the angels pour it out on every head tonight. In Jesus' name. We thank you, Father, for it. Just wild, I gotta tell you a story to start off with. This song has been coming around my ears the last week. And there's always themes and patterns to the prophetic path. Seasons of teaching. They might be a week long, they might be seven years long. But there's 
patterns to God's prophetic teaching in your spirit, in your soul. There's subject matter. There's different things he's talking about. Similarities that he's training you in, in your heart and mind to know him more. And so this last week, oftentimes God's presence and power ministers to me through music. You could call music the enjoyment of God. Music is the enjoyment of God. There's music all around his throne forever. There's angels of music, of every instrument of music, of every type of music, of every type of singing in the throne room of God the Father. God the Father's throne room is full of music and musical celebration, musical dancing constantly. It is continuous. And so music is essential to your walk. You have a theme song every season. This last seven days, there's been this song that's been coming about through different podcasts and music, and I've always been into trance because it's a deep spiritual place of resting your mind in the glory. It's called trance, and it's a genre of music. It's like techno except trance. And so this trance song was coming about, and I just, man, I gotta find out what song this is. It's been hitting me so hard that it's been making me emotional and making me, making me weep. So I got out the old Shazam, press the button, it pops up and my jaw drops. It's called, We've Been Visited by Sophia. <laughs> the angel of wisdom. <laughs> A great prophet of God told me about four years ago or so that the main angel assigned to me in Red Letter Ministries was the archangel of wisdom, Sophia. That was Lucifer's best friend before the fall, by the way. And she obviously didn't join him in the fall. So she's the spirit and the angel of wisdom. And the song's name? We've been visited by Sophia. I was like, oh, hallelujah. I text a bunch of people. <laughs> it's so fun in the glory. You have stuff like this, signs and wonders. That's a musical sign and wonder. Thank you, Father, for musical signs and wonders for everyone in the glory. The glory is the constant showering of mighty signs and wonders. You're going to get into a prophetic flow where signs and wonders are going to follow you every day. You know, some of these signs and wonders, they're so intimate that they're hidden from the unbeliever. That's why Jesus Christ said to the religious, even if you see signs and wonders, you're never going to believe. Never going to believe means you're never going to give your heart to God even through external signs and wonders. That's why Hebrews demanded signs and wonders in Greek knowledge, but both of them are demonized following the devil. You know why? Because it's an external show with no interest of internal transformation. So the most important thing to have constant signs and wonders in your lives is the internal transformation becoming a sign and wonder. The Bible says in Isaiah that we are 
Israel. We are signs and wonders. Not we are for signs and wonders in Israel. We are the signs and wonders Israel. You are a sign and wonder as a believer and as a new creature in Christ. Your spirit is a spirit that's not of this world, that is a spirit of glory from the kingdom of heaven. Everything from heaven is a sign and wonder. Because it's going into the realm of the dead, it's going into the dry place, it's going into the earth, it's going into this universe, and it's confronting the devil. How was Egypt and Pharaoh destroyed? Signs and wonders. There were nine of them. Moses performed nine signs and wonders to destroy Pharaoh and Egypt in the stranglehold of slavery over Israel. And I believe in this time there will also be nine signs and wonders. The gold sign, I believe the wine sign is a sign and wonder. Like the blood that came in the Nile. But it's not the blood of the Nile. It's the blood of Jesus that dries up the Nile. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that's coming upon human blood that destroys the works of the devil. That's what the blood, when the Nile turned to blood, it killed their life source. What is it? It killed their humanity. So one of the signs that's coming is going to be the wine sign, which is the Nile getting consumed. What is the Nile? In prophetics, the river Nile of Egypt, Egypt represents the earth, and the Nile represents the bloodlines of the earthly. All of them getting completely licked up by Moses's, or simply Moses represents the apostolic, the apostolic releasing, and you're all apostolic people. It's not about being an apostle, it's about being apostolic. Apostolic means eyewitnesses of the glory of God. And those who terraform the cities of the earth are apostolic. Those who bring heaven to earth and transform regions are all an apostolic Christianity. I mean, if we're not apostolic, we're not changing anything. So we need everyone apostolic. The book of Acts, every believer in the book of Acts that walked with the 12 apostles, and there were 12 because Paul took Judas's spot, they were apostolic. And they completely turned the world upside down by bringing simply heaven through their spirit. And heaven through their soul. And heaven through their renewed minds. And heaven through their flesh. Heaven was coming through their flesh so mightily. In Acts chapter 7, the Bible says they were seeing the angelic Shekinah glory beaming out of men's faces. The only time in history they'd experienced that in Israel was Moses. And they had a server, not even an apostle, a server, Stephen, in his young 20s, lower 20s, just a very young guy, shining with the Shekinah glory in front of all the old wizards of religion. And that's what they were. They're all sorcerers of Judaic law. Sorcerers of the law. That's what sorcery is, is legalism. Satan's a legalist, Satan's a sorcerer. So the dead letter kills, or that's the practice of sorcery. Or when you get into the glory, it's the practice of Shekinah light. So one's wisdom and the other one's madness. And they got into madness and they got really mad. 
and they started to weep and gnash their teeth at the manifest glory coming out of Stephen's face, but it was really coming out of Stephen's spirit. When Stephen was preaching the gospel to the religious dead, his spirit came right out of the surface of his body and was talking to them face to face. They were talking to God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, right through the face of the young man in the hopes of humbling them, not even to bring judgment or condemnation. God hopes that everyone should be saved. God knew they'd harden their hearts because he's really smart, but you had to do it anyway. God will always give you a chance while there's still breath in your mouth. He loves you. He's madly in love with you. If he gave you his son on the cross, how much more will he give you the gospel through Stephen with the glowing face? But people don't understand because they're so full of religion, so he has to send special messengers. The specialness of the messenger is the Shekinah glory of another world coming forth in the message. That is the encounter with the living God. If there is no light, if there is no manifest glory, manifest fire, manifest oil, manifest wine, all these manifestations of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ through his bride. How did he come the first time? The angel said in Acts 1 that he will come in the same manner that he came the first time. It is written. He came through a woman's belly the first time. Now he's coming through the bride's spirit, which is your spiritual stomach, which is all believers of all men and women in the whole world that will birth the second coming of Jesus Christ like the days of Noah and the waters must break in the mighty breaking waters. The breaker anointing of the living waters of God the Father's presence will come forth powerfully and destroy all the works of the devil in human blood and human flesh and in human bones and in human brains. All the opinions and ideas of the nations will go to zero, like it was in the days of Noah. And the bride will birth it. Jesus remains in heaven until the bride births the fullness of the living waters from her belly. Acts 3.21. Message translation. Truth anyhow. Amen? I hear the Lord saying, Book of Acts. Is it is it Acts or Acts? A X E. Already at the roots of the tree. Dear Philosophicus. <laughs> These Greek names, man. In the first volume of the book, I wrote on everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he said goodbye. The ones he had chosen through the Holy Spirit, the apostles, and he was taken up into heaven after his death, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face -face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for what the Father promised. The promise you heard from me, John baptized in water, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and soon. 
When they were together for the last time, they asked, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is this the time? He told them, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. See? It's not about you knowing the time. That's part of faith. Timing is the Father's business. Your business is enjoying the Holy Spirit. Is going deeper in the Holy Spirit. That's all you are to do with your life on earth. Is to go deeper in the Spirit of Jesus. And He will lead you where He wants you to go. Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, He will be able to be my witnesses. You will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. These were His last words as they watched. He was taken up and disappeared into a cloud. They stood there staring into the empty sky. Suddenly, two men appeared in white robes. They said, You Galileans, why do you just stand here looking up at an empty sky? This very Jesus, who was taken up from among you to heaven, will come as certainly and mysteriously as he left. So they left the mountain called Olives and returned to Jerusalem. It was a little over half a mile. They went to the upper room they had been using as a meeting place. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James. They agreed they were in this for good completely together in prayer, the women included. Also Jesus' mother, Mary, and his brothers. During this time, Peter stood up in the company. There were about 120 of them in the room at the time and said, Friends, long ago the Holy Spirit spoke through David regarding Judas, who became the guide to those who arrested Jesus. That scripture had to be fulfilled and now has been. Judas was the one of us. Judas was one of us and had his assigned place in this ministry. As you know, he took the evil bribe money and bought a small farm. There he came to a bad end, rupturing his belly and spilling his guts. Everyone in Jerusalem knows this by now. They call the place Murder Meadow. It's exactly what we find written in the Psalms. Let his farm become haunted. Let no one so that no one can ever live there. It's the message translation. Beautiful. And also what was written later. Let someone else take over his post. Judas must now be replaced. The replacement must come from the company of men who stayed together with us from the time Jesus was baptized by John up to the day of his ascension. Designated along with us as a witness to his resurrection, they nominated two, Joseph Barsabbas, nicknamed Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, You, O God, know every one of us inside and out. Make plain which of these two men you choose to take the place in this ministry and leadership that Judas threw away in order to go his own way. They then drew straws 
Matthias won and was counted in with the eleven apostles. When the Feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind. Gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then, like a wildfire, the Holy Ghost spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. When they heard the sound, they came on the run, and when they heard one after another their own mother tongue being spoken, they were thunderstruck. Yeah, get thunderstruck by the glory. They couldn't, for the life of them, figure out what was going on. And they kept saying, Aren't these unicorn tongues? (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. That's the message paraphrased. How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea, and English. (laughs) Glory. Immigrants from Ireland. They're speaking our languages, describing God's mighty works. Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make head or tail of any of it. They talked back and forth confused. What's going on here? Others joked, they're drunk on cheap wine. That's when Peter stood up and backed by the other eleven spoke out with bold urgency. Fellow Jews, all of you who are visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get the story straight. These people aren't drunk as some of you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) This is what the prophet Joel announced would happen. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams when the time comes. I'll pour out my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both, and they'll prophesy. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and billowing smoke, the sun turning black, and the moon blood red before the day of the Lord's arrival, the day tremendous and marvelous, and whoever calls out for help 
to me, God, will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen carefully to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man thoroughly accredited by God to you with miracles and wonders and signs that God did through him, are common knowledge. This Jesus, following the deliberate and well thought out plan of God, was betrayed by men who took the law into their own hands and was handed over to you. And you pinned him to a cross and killed him. But God untied the death ropes and raised him up. Death was no match for him. <laughs> David said it all. I saw God before me all the time. David saw God before him all the time. Amen. Living in the glory. Nothing can shake me. He's right by my side. I'm glad from the inside out. Ecstatic. I've pitched my tent in the land of hope. I know you'll never dump me in Hades. Oh man, that one really got me. <laughs> I've pitched my tent in the land of hope. I know you'll never dump me in Hades. Oh, Whew. Whew. Shabba. I've never... Whoa, holy. I'll never even smell the stench of death. You've got my feet on the life path with your face shining sun joy all around. Shaba, shikata, rika, rodo. With your face shining sun joy all around. Dear friends, let me be completely frank with you. Our ancestor David is dead, and he's buried. His tomb is right over there. But being also a prophet and knowing that God had solemnly sworn that a descendant of his would rule his kingdom, seeing far ahead, he talked of the resurrection of the Messiah. No trip to Hades, no stench of death, this Jesus God raised up. And every one of us here is a witness to it. Then raised to the heights at the right hand of God, and receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he poured out the Spirit he had just received. He poured out the resurrection that he had just received. That is what you see here. <laughs> For David himself, 
did not ascend to heaven. But he did say, God said to my master, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a stool for rest for your feet. Glory. What's rest? What's entering the rest? When your enemies are a stool for your feet. That's the only possibility of rest on earth. <laughs> and how? By the resurrection outpouring. That's how. All Israel then know this. There's no longer room for doubt. God made him master and Messiah, this Jesus whom you killed on a cross. Cut to the quick. Those who were listening asked Peter and the other apostles, Brothers! Brothers! So now, what do we do? <laughs> Peter said, Change your life! Turn to God and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ so your sins can be forgiven and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is targeted to you and to your children, but also to all who are far away, whomever, in fact, our Master God invites. He went on in this vein for a long time, urging them over and over, get out while you still can. Get out of this sick and stupid culture. <laughs> that day about 3,000 took him at his word. They were baptized and were signed up. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, and the common meal, and the prayers. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles, and all the believers lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled the resources so that each person's needs were met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful, as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. <laughs> The Holy Spirit says, keep going. It's like story time in heaven. One day, at three o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John were on their way into the temple for a prayer meeting. At the time, there was a man crippled from birth being carried up. Every day he was set down at the temple gate the one named Beautiful, to beg from those going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, 
He asked for a handout. Peter and John at his side looked straight at him in the eyes and said, look here. He looked up, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said to him, I don't have a nickel to my name. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He grabbed him by the right hand and pulled him up. In an instant, his feet and ankles became firm. He jumped to his feet and started dancing. (laughs) Started raving. And that's how Disco was born. The man went into the temple with them, walking back and forth and breakdancing and praising God. Everybody there saw him walking around (laughs) and breakdancing, and they recognized him as the one who sat begging at the temple's gate, beautiful, and they rubbed their eyes. Astonished, scarcely believing what they were seeing, The man threw his arms around Peter and John, ecstatic. All the people ran up to where they were at Solomon's porch to see it for themselves. When when Peter saw that he had a congregation, he addressed the people, O Israelites, why does this take you by such complete surprise? And why stare at this man breakdancing? Under the power. <laughs> wow. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his son Jesus, the very one that Pilate called innocent. You repudiated. You repudiated the Holy One, the Just One, and asked for a murderer in his place. You no sooner killed the author of life than God raised him from the dead. And we are his witnesses. Faith in Jesus' name put this man, whose condition you know so well, on his feet, yes, Faith and nothing but faith put this man healed and whole right before your eyes. And now, friends, I know you had no idea what you were doing when you killed Jesus. And neither did your leaders. But God, who through the preaching of all the prophets, had said all along that his Messiah would be killed. He knew exactly what you were doing and used it to fulfill his plans. Amen. Now it's time to change your ways. Turn to face God so he can wipe away 
your sins and pour out showers of blessing to refresh you and send you the Messiah that he's prepared for you, namely Jesus. For the time being, he must remain out of sight in heaven until everything is restored to order again just the way God, through the preaching of his holy prophets of old, said it would be. Moses, for instance, said, Your God will raise up for you a prophet, just like me, from your family. Listen to every word he speaks to you. Every last living soul who refuses to listen to that prophet will be wiped out from the people. All the prophets from Samuel on down said the same thing said most emphatically that these days would come. These prophets, along with the covenant God made with your ancestors, are your family tree. The prophets are your family tree. (laughs) Amen. God's covenant word to Abraham provides the text, by your offering all the families of all the earth will be blessed. But you are first in line, God, having raised up his son, sent him to bless you as you turn one by one from your evil ways. While Peter and John were addressing the people, the priests, the chief of the temple police, and some Sadducees came up indignant that these upstart apostles were instructing the people and proclaiming that the resurrection from the dead had taken place in Jesus. They arrested them and they threw them in jail until morning. For by now it was late in the evening, but many of those who listened had already believed the message. In round numbers, about 5,000. The next day a meeting was called in Jerusalem. The rulers, religious leaders, religion scholars, Annas, the chief priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, everybody who was anybody was there. They stood Peter and John in the middle of the room and grilled them. (laughs) Who put you in charge here? What business do you have doing this? With that, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, let loose. Rulers, leaders of the people, if we have been brought to trial today for helping a sick man put under investigation regarding this healing, I'll be completely frank with you. We have nothing to hide. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one you killed on a cross, the one God raised from the dead, by means of his name, this man stands before you healthy and whole. Jesus is the stone you masons threw out, which is now the cornerstone. Salvation comes no other way. No other name has been given or will be given to us by which we can be saved only this one Jesus they couldn't take their eyes off of them Peter and John standing there so confident so sure of themselves their fascination deepened when they realized that these two were laymen 
with no training in scripture or formal education. They never even had a Bible. They recognized them as companions of Jesus. But with the man right before them, seeing him standing there so upright, so healed, what could they say against that? They sent them out of the room so they could work out a plan. They talked it over. What can we do with these men? By now it's known all over town that a miracle has occurred and that they are behind it. There is no way we can refute that. But so that it doesn't go any further, let's silence them and with threats so they won't dare to use Jesus' name ever again with anyone. They called them back and warned them that they were of no account and they were to never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John spoke right back, whether it's right in God's eyes to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. As for us, there's no question. We can't keep quiet about what we've seen and heard. The religious leaders renewed their threats, but then they released them. They couldn't come up with a charge that would stick, that would keep them in jail. The people wouldn't have stood for it. They were all praising God over what had happened. The man who had been miraculously healed was over 40 years old. As soon as Peter and John were let go, they went to their friends and told them what the high priests and religious leaders had said. Hearing the report, they lifted their voices in a wonderful harmony in prayer. Strong God, you made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. By the Holy Spirit, you spoke through the mouth of your servant and our father David. Why the big noise, nations? Why the mean plots, peoples? Earth's leaders push for position. Potentates meet for summit talks. The God deniers, the Messiah defiers. For in fact, they did meet Herod and Pontius Pilate with nations and peoples, even Israel itself, met in this very city to plot against your holy son Jesus, the one you made Messiah, to carry out the plans you long ago set in motion. And now they're at it again. Take care of their threats and give your servants fearless confidence in preaching your message. As you stretch out your hand to us in healings and miracles and wonders done in the name of your holy servant Jesus. While they were praying, the place where they were meeting trembled and shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit again and continued to speak God's word with fearless confidence. Now, well, they had two baptisms of the Holy Spirit. The whole congregation of believers was united as one, one heart, one mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said, that's mine, you can't have that. They shared everything. The apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the Master Jesus, and grace, great grace, was upon them all. 
And so it turned out that not a person among them was needy. Those who owned fields or houses sold them and bought, brought the price of the sale to the apostles and made an offering of it. The apostles then distributed it according to each person's need. Joseph, called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of comfort, a Levite born of Cyprus, sold a field that he owned, brought the money, and made an offering of it to the apostles. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, conniving in this with him, sold a piece of land, secretly kept part of the price for himself, and then brought the rest to the apostles and made an offering of it. Peter said, Ananias, how did Satan get you to lie to the Holy Spirit and secretly keep back part of the price of the field? Before you sold it, it was all yours, and after you sold it, the money was yours to do with as you wished. So what got into you to pull a trick like this? You didn't lie to men, but to God. Ananias, when he heard these words, he fell down dead. That put the fear of God into everyone who heard about it. The younger men went right to work. <laughs> Whoa, amen. They all got jobs right away. <laughs> the offering plate was full from that time on. <laughs> it really was. Well, they wrapped up Ananias and they carried him out and buried him. Not more than three hours later, his wife, knowing nothing of what had happened, came in and Peter said, Tell me, were you given this price for your field? Yes, she said, that price. Peter responded, what's going on here? that you connive to conspire against the spirit of the master. Connived to conspire against the spirit of the master. The men who buried your husband are at the door and you're next. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than she also fell down dead. When the young men returned, they found her body they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. By this time, the whole church, and in fact, everyone who heard of these things, had a healthy respect for God. <laughs> they, whoa. they knew God was not to be trifled with. Through the work of the apostles, God... Many God signs were set up among the people, many wonderful things done. They all met regularly and in remarkable harmony on the temple porch named after Solomon. But even though people admired them a lot, outsiders were wary about joining them. On the other hand, those who put their trust in the master were added right and left men and women both. They even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on stretchers and bedrolls 
hoping they'd be touched by Peter's shadow when he walked by. They came from the villages surrounding Jerusalem, throngs of them bringing the sick and bed-eviled, and they were all healed. Provoked mightily by all of this, the chief priests and those on his side, mainly the sect of Sadducees, went into action. They arrested the apostles and they put them in the town jail. But during the night, an angel of God opened the jailhouse and led them out. He said, go to the temple and take your stand. Tell the people everything there is to say about this life. Promptly obedient, they entered the temple at daybreak and went on with their teaching. Meanwhile, the chief priests and his cronies convened the high council. Is <laughs> Israel's Senate and sent to the jail to have the prisoners brought in. When the police got there, they couldn't find them anywhere in the jail. They went back and reported, we found the jail locked tight as a drum and the guards posted at the doors, but when we went inside, we didn't find a soul. The chief of the temple police and the high priest were puzzled. What is going on here anyway? Just then, someone showed up and said, Did you know that the men you put in jail are back in the temple teaching the people? The chief and his police went and got them, but they handled them gently, fearful that the people would riot and turn on them. Bringing them back, they stood them before the high council. The chief priest said, Didn't we give you strict orders not to teach in Jesus' name? And here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are trying your best to blame us for the death of this man. Peter and the apostles answered, It's necessary to obey God rather than men. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, the one you killed by hanging him on a cross. God set him on high at his side, Prince and Savior to give Israel the gift of a changed life and sins forgiven. And we are witnesses to these things. The Holy Spirit, whom God gives to those who obey Him, corroborates every detail. When they heard that, they were furious, and they wanted to kill them on the spot. But one of the council members stood up, a Pharisee, by the name of Gamaliel, a teacher of God's law who was honored by everyone. He ordered the men taken out of the room for a short time. Then said, Fellow Israelites, be careful what you do to these men. Not long ago, Thetis made something of a splash, claiming to be somebody, and got about 400 men to join him. He was killed, his followers dispersed, and nothing came of it. A little later, at the time of the census, Judas the Galilean appeared and acquired a following. He also fizzled out, and the people following him were scattered to the four winds. So I'm telling you, hands off these men. Let them alone. If this program or this work is merely human, it will fall apart. 
But if it is of God, there is nothing you can do about it. And you better not be found fighting against God. <laughs> that convinced them. They called back the apostles back in after giving them a thorough whipping. They warned them not to speak in Jesus' name and sent them off. The apostles went out of the high council overjoyed because they had been given the honor of being dishonored on account of the name of Jesus. Every day they were in the temple and homes teaching and preaching Christ Jesus, not letting up for a minute. During this time, as the disciples were increasing in numbers, by leaps and bounds, hard feelings developed among the Greek-speaking believers, the Hellenists, toward the Hebrew-speaking believers, because their widows were being discriminated in the daily food lines. So the twelve called the meeting of the disciples. They said, it wouldn't be right for us to abandon our responsibilities of preaching and teaching the Word of God to help with the care of the poor. So friends, choose seven men from among you, whom everyone trusts, men full of the Holy Spirit and good sense, and we'll assign them this task. Meanwhile, we'll stick to our assigned tasks of prayer and speaking God's Word. The congregation thought this was a great idea. They went ahead and chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. Then they presented them to the apostles, praying. The apostles laid on hands and commissioned them for their task. The word of God prospered. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased dramatically. Not least, a great many priests submitted themselves to the faith. Stephen, brimming with God's grace and energy, was doing wonderful things among the people, unmistakable signs that God was among them. But then some men from the meeting place whose membership was made up of freed slaves, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and some other from Cilicia and Asia, went up against him trying to argue him down. But they were no match for his wisdom and spirit when he spoke. So in secret they bribed men to lie. We heard him cursing Moses and cursing God. That stirred up the people, the religious leaders and religion scholars. They grabbed Stephen and took him before the high council. They put forward their bribed witnesses to testify. This man talks non-stop against this holy place and against God's law. We even heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth would tear this place down and throw out all the customs that Moses gave us. As all those who sat on the high council looked at Stephen, they found they couldn't take their eyes off of him. His face was like the face of an angel. Then the chief priest said, What do you have to say for yourself? Stephen replied, Friends, fathers, brothers, the God of glory appeared. He appeared to our father Abraham when he was still in Mesopotamia, before the move to Haran, and told him, Leave your country and family and go to the land I'll show you. 
So he left the country of the Chaldees and moved to Haran. After the death of his father, he immigrated to this country where you now live. But God gave him nothing, not so much as a foothold. He did promise to give the country to him and his son later on, even though Abraham had no son at the time. God let him know that his offspring would move to an alien country where they would be enslaved and brutalized for 400 years. But, God said, I will step in and take care of those slaveholders and bring my people out so they can worship me in this place. Then he made a covenant with him and signed it in Abraham's flesh by circumcision. When Abraham had his son Isaac, within eight days, he reproduced the sign of circumcision in him. Isaac became father of Jacob and Jacob father of the twelve fathers, each faithfully passing on the covenant sign. But then those fathers, burning up with jealousy, sent Joseph off to Egypt as a slave. God was right there with him. He not only rescued him from all of his troubles, but brought him to the attention of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He was so impressed with Joseph that he put him in charge of the whole country, including his own personal affairs. Later, a famine descended on that entire region, stretching from Egypt to Canaan, bringing terrific hardship. Our hungry fathers looked high and low for food, but the cupboard was bare. Jacob heard there was food in Egypt and sent our fathers to scout for it. Having confirmed the report, they went back to Egypt a second time to get food. On that visit, Joseph revealed his true identity to his brothers and introduced the Jacob family to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent for his father, Jacob, and everyone else in the family, 75 in all. That's how the Jacob family got to Egypt. Jacob died, and our fathers after him. They were taken to Shechem and buried in the tomb for which Abraham paid a good price to the sons of Hamar. When the 400 years were nearly up, the time God promised Abraham for deliverance, the population of our people in Egypt had become very large. And there was now a king over Egypt who had never heard of Joseph. He exploited our race mercilessly. He went so far as forcing us to abandon our newborn infants, exposing them to the elements to die a cruel death. In just such a time, Moses was born, a most beautiful baby. He was hidden at home for three months. When he could be hidden no longer, he was put outside and immediately rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, who mothered him as her own son. Moses was educated in the best schools in Egypt. He was equally impressive as a thinker and an athlete. When he was 40 years old, he wandered, he wondered how everything was going with his Hebrew kin and went out to look over things. He saw an Egyptian abusing one of them and stepped in, avenging his underdog brother by knocking the Egyptian flat. He thought his brothers would be glad that he was on their side and even see him as an instrument of God to deliver them. But they didn't see it that way. The next day, two of them were fighting, and he tried to break it up, told them to shake hands and get along with each other, 
Friends, you are brothers. Why are you beating up on each other? The one who had started the fight said, Who put you in charge of us? Are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, realizing that the word was out, he ran for his life and lived in exile over in Midian. During the years of exile, two sons were born to him. Forty years later, in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to him in the guise of flames of a burning bush. Moses, not believing his eyes, went up to take a closer look. He heard God's voice, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Frightened, nearly out of his skin, Moses shut his eyes and turned away. God said, Kneel and pray. You are in a holy place on holy ground. I've seen the agony of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groans. I've come to help them. So get yourself ready. I'm sending you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses whom they earlier rejected, saying, Who put you in charge of us? This is the Moses that God, using the angel flaming in the burning bush, sent back as ruler and redeemer. He led them out of their slavery. He did wonderful things, setting up God's signs all through Egypt, down at the Red Sea, and out in the wilderness for forty years. This is the Moses who said to the congregation, God will raise up a prophet just like me from your descendants. This is the Moses who stood between the angel speaking at Sinai and your fathers assembled in the wilderness and took the life-giving words given to him and handed them over to us. Words our fathers would have nothing to do with. They craved the old Egyptian ways, whining to Aaron, make us gods we can see and follow. This Moses who got us out of here miles from nowhere, who knows what's happened to him? That was the time when they made a calf idol. They brought sacrifices to it and congratulated each other on the wonderful religious program that they had put together. <laughs> God wasn't at all pleased, but he had let them do it their way. Worship every new God that came down the pike and live with the consequences, consequences described by the prophet Amos. Did you bring me offerings of animals and grains those forty wilderness years, O Israel? Hardly. You were too busy building shrines to war gods to sex goddesses, worshiping them with all your might. That's why I put you in exile beyond Babylon. And all this time our ancestors had a tent shrine for true worship, made to the exact specifications God provided Moses. They had it, they had it with them as they followed Joshua. When God cleared the land of pagans and still had it right down to the time of David, David asked God for a permanent place for worship, but Solomon built it. Yet that doesn't mean that the Most High God lives in a building made by carpenters and masons. The prophet Isaiah 
put it well when he wrote, Heaven is my throne room. I rest my feet on earth. So what kind of house will you build for me, says God? Where can I get away and relax? It's already built, and I built it. Glory. And you continue, so bullheaded, calluses on your hearts, flaps on your ears, deliberately ignoring the Holy Spirit. This is when it gets good. You're just like your ancestors. Was there ever a prophet who didn't get the same treatment? Your ancestors killed anyone who dared talk about the coming of the just one. And you've kept up the family tradition, traitors and murderers, all of you. You had God's law handed to you by angels, gift-wrapped, and you squandered it. At that point, they went wild, a rioting mob of catcalls and whistles and invective. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, hardly even noticed. He only had eyes for God, whom he saw in all of his glory with Jesus standing at his side. And Stephen said, Oh, I see heaven wide open and the Son of Man standing at God's side. Yelling and hissing, the mob drowned him out. Now in a full stampede, they dragged him out of town and pelted him with rocks. The ringleaders took off their coats and asked a young man named Saul to watch them. As the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. Then he knelt down, praying loud enough for everyone to hear. Master, don't blame them for this sin. His last words, then he died. Saul was right there congratulating the killers. That set off a terrific persecution of the church in Jerusalem. The believers were all scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. All that is but the apostles, good and brave men buried Stephen, giving him a solemn funeral, not many dry eyes that day. And Saul just went wild, devastating the church, entering house after house after house, dragging men and women off to jail. Forced to leave home base, the followers of Jesus all became missionaries. Wherever they were, scattered, they preached the message about Jesus. Going down to Samaritan cities, Philip proclaimed the message of the Messiah. When the people heard what he had to say and saw the miracles, the clear signs of God's action, they hung on his every word. Many who could neither stand nor walk were healed that day. The evil spirits protested loudly as they were sent on their way. And what joy in the city! Previous to Philip's arrival, a certain Simon had practiced magic in the city, posing as a famous man and dazzling all the Samaritans with his wizardry. He had them all, from little children to old men, eating out of his hand. They all thought he had supernatural powers and called him the Great Wizard. (laughs) He had been around a long time and everyone was more or less in awe of him. But when Philip came to town announcing the news of God's kingdom, 
and proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, they forgot Simon and were baptized, becoming believers right and left. Even Simon himself believed and was baptized. From that moment, he was like Philip's shadow, so fascinated with all the God signs and miracles that he wouldn't leave Philip's side. When the apostles in Jerusalem received the report that Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John down to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Up to this point, they had only been baptized in the name of the Master Jesus. The Holy Spirit hadn't yet fallen on them. Then the apostles laid their hands on them, and they did receive the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the apostles, by merely laying on hands, conferred the Spirit, he pulled out his money, excited, and said, Sell me your secret. Show me how you did that. How much do you want? Name your price. Peter said, To hell with your money. (laughs) And you along with it. Why? That's unthinkable trying to buy God's gift. You'll never be part of what God's doing by striking bargains and offering bribes. Change your ways and now. Ask the master to forgive you for trying to use God to make money. I can see this is an old habit with you. You reek with money lust. Oh, said Simon, pray for me. Pray to the master that nothing like that will ever happen to me. And with that, the apostles were on their way, continuing to witness and spread the message of God's salvation. Preaching in every Samaritan town they passed through on the return to Jerusalem. Amen. Bless you guys. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.